Hello, and welcome to the Tar Heel Blog Podcast. My name is Tanya Bondera, and I'm here with Brandon Anderson. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Want to introduce everyone to our newest podcast, What in Tarnation? Our objective with this podcast is to bring you what will hopefully be concise and entertaining takes about what is happening in Tar Heel Nation at any given time. This show will be supplementing our existing shows, Don't Punt to Geo, which is football-focused, and Between the Banners for all things UNC basketball. Our debut episode is going to cover some football-related topics as we head into the last few weeks of summer without any real games to discuss. Brandon, do you want to get started with our takes on the football schedule and what that means for our expectations this season? Sure, I'll get started with that. So not long ago, maybe about a week or so ago, I wrote an article about the best and worst case scenario for UNC football. And I was reading some of the comments that were uh, present in there, and I thought that it would be interesting to kind of thoroughly discuss things because I know that I kind of touched on things on more of a vague scale when it came to like a game to game basis. So this would probably be a good time to really break down some of these games and see what might be a realistic record for the team this year. Uh, Tanya, maybe we'll start with what your thoughts are just kind of overall of what you think maybe the ceiling and the floor might be for this team. I think it's really tough because this season obviously has a lot of hope and optimism going into it from Mac Brown being back and the recruiting turning a real corner. Um, I think any other year we would all be much more excited than we are. And some of the reason for that tepid optimism is the schedule. When you look at it, there are a lot of tough games. Um, If I look at the schedule from a completely sort of neutral standpoint, as much as I can, I see two what should be guaranteed wins. And then there are a lot of maybes. Maybe if everything breaks right, we can beat this team or this team. But there are no like overly gimme games aside from probably Mercer and Georgia Tech. I think that I I think Carolina football has hurt me a little bit um, to the <laughs> point that I can't look at Pittsburgh and be like, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to win that game. Um, even though Carolina's had a lot of success against Pitt, um, I think I'm just, I'm beaten down and broken by the UNC football program a bit. Yeah, I definitely agree with that and that's definitely kind of what I was trying to articulate in what I wrote but maybe worth going a little bit more in depth essentially what we have is a schedule full of teams that with the exception of maybe App State and Mercer and I guess to some degree Clemson the past few years has just been odd for the whole football team in general and not odd in a, this shouldn't be expected kind of way, but it's odd in a, there was a lot of close games against a lot of these teams 
and UNC ended up on the wrong side of a lot of them. And now, granted, we have Mac Brown now. He should be better than Larry Fedora. But at the same time, this team is, in terms of scheme, very, very young. All new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach. I think they got new strength and conditioning coaches. Everything is new. So when everything is new, that puts a big old question mark pretty much hanging over Keenan Stadium as to what we can expect. And and quite frankly, I think we all know this, the Coastal is pretty much one big question mark this year. And I think that's what makes it so tough to predict what to actually expect. I mean, I feel like if you know your opponents relatively well and what you can expect from them, you could kind of figure out your expectations that way. But the truth is we just don't know. And honestly, I think when I was talking about my worst case scenario and I said, yeah, like worst case scenario, they could probably squeeze out three wins. That's in a situation where they're probably losing a bunch of close games and they're probably getting smacked by some really good teams. (coughs) Clemson. (coughs) Um, (laughs) But um, yeah. And then just like my best case scenario was basically some of the, they're basically winning those toss up games. I mean, they can beat Wake. They can beat Miami, maybe. They can maybe beat South Carolina. Georgia Tech should be a team that they could beat. Virginia Tech, I would say maybe Duke. I would think that we, that's possible. Mercer should just be the biggest gimme on the schedule. But um, I, I do think, though, when it comes to looking at the wins – there's a form of realism that has to come into play with the team being so new. There's only so many wins that you can really expect. And so I think when I looked at the schedule, that's definitely kind of where my seven, five record came from when looking at the best case scenario. I don't think saying three wins is a worst case scenario is out of line. I mean, I think worst case scenario is they don't win those games that are kind of toss-ups um I know we saw last year that Carolina would stay in games but then they couldn't finish um we hope that that obviously won't be the case this year but also the team is young and they are learning new systems and Mac Brown is going to do things differently than Larry Fedora did so I think looking at this schedule as difficult as it is and saying the minimum we should expect is three wins is probably realistic to me um, just because I don't think they'll find a way to lose against Mercer or Georgia Tech and they should at least be able to pull off something else if it's in the like Duke pit that kind of range Um, obviously we hope for better but you know hoping for better is not the worst case scenario so I think saying three wins is probably the worst case is realistic to me. The best case to me, I mean, again, I don't really see how this team can pull off more than seven wins without a miracle. I guess some people could say that a best case scenario is that all those miracles do come true and they run the table and go undefeated. Um, But I I am not in a place where I can believe that will happen 
right now. So something in the six win range is probably what I believe is the best case scenario. And I think all of us would take that after the last couple seasons that we've endured. So I think there's like, there's a lot of optimism for good reason. But I also think that some of us are in a place where we need to see it to believe it. And that's okay, too. And, you know, before long, we will see how things are clicking. Um, I think by the time Carolina takes on Wake Forest, we'll have two games under our belt and we'll have a lot better idea of if this team is the kind that like has what it takes to finish games that they're in close at the end and that sort of thing. But until then, I think it's understandable for everyone to be pretty cautiously optimistic about what they can do considering all of the turnover and the difficult schedule that they have ahead of them. Yeah. And going back to the Wake Forest game, I actually do have a question for you. So we're discussing records and things like that as it is, but there is one possibility within this entire schedule that for some fans could be very, very good. And there's probably a group of fans that they could look at this and they probably wouldn't be that impressed if it happened. But honestly, given the way that things have went over the past few years, I think it might be worth some shred of excitement. Uh, So let me ask you, Tanya, if UNC wins no other games, but Wake Forest, Duke, and NC State, do you consider that a, any type of significant step forward? Or do you kind of see it as, well, we still didn't win a large amount of our games? So is that not including like the Mercer game? It's just Wake Forest, Duke, and NC State? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's just, well, that's a good question, actually. Let, let's throw the Mercer game in there. So let's say they win four games this year. Those are the four games. I think emotionally, absolutely. Like, those are big games sort of for bragging rights, which, whether we want to admit it or not, matters. Um, NC State has been a pain point for several years now, obviously. And... um Duke is now Daniel Jonesless, so they should hopefully be a little bit easier of a target. Um, I think if they come away with those four wins, you definitely feel as good as you can about a four-win season. Um, but obviously, if they win those four games, you're going to be looking at other games like South Carolina, Georgia Tech, Pitt. And being like, you you couldn't win those though. So, <laughs> yeah, it's from an emotional standpoint, absolutely. From a pure like X's and O's standpoint, it would probably be another like what could have been. Um, but I think if if those are the four wins you get, you take it and you feel good about building off of that. Yeah, and that's definitely how I feel about it too. It's not realistic. I feel like if you're able to beat NC State, 
just whatever team they roll out onto the field this year, you should be able to beat a couple extra teams outside of the ones that I mentioned. But from an emotional standpoint, I totally agree with you. I feel like if those are going to be your four wins, those are really good wins, especially from the standpoint of what Mac Brown's trying to do. He wants to take over North Carolina. And I feel like that's really important. There's a lot of great players that come out of this state. And sometimes you have to beat up on the other schools to be like, yo, we're, we're the big dogs. We're the ones that are running the state. And so that's definitely important. And honestly, this whole schedule is full of recruiting competitors, really. I mean, South Carolina, Wake Forest, App State, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Duke, State. It's it's very heavy with these teams that Larry Fedora was battling with for recruiting for years and wasn't having a great deal of success. So I I winning as many of these games of course is the most important thing, but as far as the in-state schools go, the ACC and state state schools go, I think if you can even if you get a win against at least Duke and State, you've done something big. But once again, if you beat those two teams, hopefully you beat Wake too. There's a lot of that. Just the if you beat these teams, you should beat these other teams. So hopefully that's what happens. We shall see. I feel like Mac's tenure so far has basically been repairing Carolina's reputation. And a good way to continue that is to beat those in-state schools that have kind of embarrassed us recently. And you know that they have used those tactics when recruiting and that sort of thing. So if Mac Brown can couple his like Southern man charm with actual victories on the football field, I think he's going to be a real force on the recruiting trail and things have already gotten so much better. I think that they could really, really improve um, if all of his sort of promises and all of the optimism around the program actually turns into like tangible victories. For sure. And since you mentioned the football field, let's go on to our next topic, which is um, the alcohol sales situation at Keenan. So the news kind of got out that the alcohol sales probably won't be ready for the home opener at Keenan Stadium. Um, if you haven't heard this news by now, listeners, um, the state of North Carolina is pretty much letting the college schools now sell alcohol at their arenas and stadiums. Um, Tanya, is it a big deal that they're not going to be ready with that as soon as the doors open for Keenan in the opener? Or do you kind of see it as something that it's okay if they take a little bit of time with getting it prepared and ultimately it's just a non-factor? I think it's definitely a disappointment if they can't have it ready for 
the game against Miami, the home opener, just because that game is at 8 o'clock. It's the first game on the ACC network for UNC, and it's Mac's first game back in Keenan. And I feel like if you could couple the energy of Mac being back and the home opener and also alcohol sales, um, I think that the energy in Keenan could probably be as good as we've seen it in several years. I don't think it's an awful thing if it's not ready. I think that making sure it's done in a good way that everyone feels good about is probably more important than just like rushing it out and having it be um, not something that runs smoothly or something that like has hiccups. But I think that if they can have it ready for September 7th, that would kind of be like the ideal scenario just because that game has a lot of potential to be like one of the main games that people could want to go to just because it's like prime time and it's it's Max first game back and there should be a lot of good energy around that. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but like kind of diverting back to what we were talking about before, like the worst case scenario is Carolina opens like 0 and 5 and uh, you're definitely going to have a bit harder of a time getting people to come out and be excited uh, for the Duke game on October 26th if they're like lone win thus far as the Georgia Tech game. So building off the good feelings right now and having that ready for the home opener, I think is obviously everyone's preference. Um, but we'll have to see how it goes. I I think it's I think it's going to be a really good thing. It's just going to be a matter of seeing how they implement it. If they start off on five, they're going to need to get the beer flowing in that place as soon as possible. For sure. But and I just I don't know if they're going to have people like, you know, it's going to look I have a feeling like some of those games last season where like it was a whole lot of empty blue. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And obviously that is, that is the nightmare scenario. The 0 and 5 is the nightmare scenario, but it could happen. And I think that if we can like stem that and get people there and enjoying themselves and having like an electric atmosphere for a night game, I think that is the time to do it if it's at all possible. And I'm sure they will if it's at all possible, but it's definitely a little bit disheartening to hear that they're not sure they can have it ready by then. Yeah. And personally for me, whenever I think about any of the stadiums selling alcohol, my mind immediately goes to money. And truth be told, for Carolina athletics as a whole, I don't feel like money is the biggest issue. I think for Carolina football, however, the past couple of years have been rough. Um, and that's not to say that alcohol sales are going to get them, you know, the most outrageous amount of revenue or anything like that. But still, money is money. And I think that if you don't have that ready by the time those doors open, it can sting a little bit because there's definitely that money that you're missing out on 
and it it's just it would also hurt the university as much as it hurts the people that attend the games that do not feel like trying to tailgate but would still like to have a few drinks get a little loud hopefully not be problematic but you know have a good time um so yeah i really hope they get all that worked out at least by the time they hit the third home game i i mean i i'm still hoping that it's sooner than that even but I just I hope it's not something that gets pushed back and back and back and back. Yeah. At this point, I don't even think it's as much about the money. I mean, I I am sure that the money helps and they will take it. But the Carolina football program needs to be buying stock in like good feelings at this point and having people have a good time and have sort of the ability to buy alcohol and bring it into the stadium well, not bring it into the stadium, but have it in the stadium legally and, and have that whole atmosphere, I think will do a lot in the good feelings department. So the money is definitely a factor, but I think at this point we just need all of the like optimism and like energy that we can get. And, and that's for better or worse, a, a big part of it. Absolutely. So the last topic that we had today, Tanya, was in regards to the NCAA. They announced today that they were backpedaling one of the criteria that they had placed on what is being deemed as the Rick Paul rule. Basically what this was is agents had to meet certain criteria in order to be agents for players. The part that caused Maybe the most controversy was the part where they required agents to have bachelor's degrees. The NCAA basically came out today and said that that was no longer a requirement in order to be a certified agent um, for them. So not to get too deep into the weeds with this, but as far as the NCAA goes, we've seen a lot of messiness from them just within the past I'd say at least five years, especially as UNC fans. Um, And it seems like they just don't know what they're doing anymore. And this, this new rule with the agents, it just kind of seems like they were trying to flex some authority, but ultimately didn't know what they're doing. Um, What are your thoughts? And I mean, how does how does the NCAA even maintain any type of credibility at this point? Well, I think they probably don't. Um, I think that everyone is rightfully skeptical about anything the NCAA comes out with at this point. And a lot of the reason for that is that it seems self-serving. This definitely, um, was an example of something that came across as self-serving, even if the NCAA could try to paint it as um, something that they were doing to make sure players were getting the right guidance. I think that it's another example of the NCAA trying to overstep what is their business. Um, I know that a lot of people might disagree with that, but 
the NCAA basically just has a case of trying to do too much, like all the time. And I think that's why they've taken a couple like really, really, really big L's in the last few years. It's like there there may be something there, but instead of like addressing that problem, they go like 10 steps too far and then it's it's too much and they, they have to like pull it back. So I think this is just another example of that. And I think that that's why people are rightfully skeptical about all the things that the NCAA does at this point, because it seems very self-serving. And also it sort of constantly seems like they're just going too far past what they should be monitoring and requiring and limiting people to and all of that. So I don't know how they recover from this except to say, hey, maybe do less. Um, But I think we all know that the NCAA is a pretty corrupt institution. So I guess you might as well shoot your shot. And that's definitely the uh, motto that they have lived by the last few years, even if it hasn't worked out for them. They have definitely been one to live up to that motto. This decade, who would you say has taken a bigger L, the NCAA or Drake, when Pusha T basically confronted him about hiding a child? Well, Drake took like one L among like a lot of success. The NCAA has just been taking like L after L after L. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah. fair. And he also came out with in my feelings and everybody kind of forgot about it because they're busy dancing outside of cars and falling and getting injured. Um, but no. back to the NCAA. Spectacularly off topic. Spectacularly off topic, but still kind of amusing. Uh, <laughs> as far as the NCAA goes, you pretty much hit every nail on the head. And quite honestly, the agent thing in general, I, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think my biggest thing is things wouldn't be so messy if it weren't for the one and done rule. But at the same time, the one and done rule has nothing to do with the NCAA. That's of the NBA's contract bargaining agreement. But it's still on the NCAA to be able to manage these type of things. And they have done a horrendous job. That's not to say that the NCAA didn't have their problems before all this went down, but I feel like the one and done rule has made things worse and worse and worse. We're getting some great one and done college players that come through and basically make themselves a lot of money during what could be or could not be legitimate periods of their careers. But ultimately it's kind of like what you said, the NCAA, they just constantly keep finding ways to overstep. They're trying to fix things that aren't broken. They have Condoleezza Rice getting involved and basically begging them to do this, that, or the other now they're trying to do this, that, or the other, but they're doing this, that, or the other wrong. And it's a lot. It's a lot. And as college fans, it's it's funny. And you and I discussed this last week where it's like we don't hate college sports. 
We just kind of hate the NCAA. And you also pointed out when we we're having that conversation that that's kind of how it's been with a lot of organizations. The NFL had their problems. The NBA hasn't had as many problems, but they're not without their own faults with this, that, or the other, so on and so forth. But um, I I do feel like the NCAA has they have perhaps dug themselves maybe a little bit deeper of a hole than some of these other organizations. And it's just, it's one of those things where you kind of have to deal with it for the greater good, which is kind of unfortunate. I think if the NCAA came out and said, Hey, we want to protect these young impressionable kids from getting bad advice from the weird uncle who comes along and tells them that they can make them a millionaire with this, that, or the other. And he only wants like 82% of whatever they make and all of that. Like, I think people would be on board, but that's not what they did. And that's why like it went too far. Like, yeah, there probably should be some like system in place so that these kids are getting good advice and not skeezy advice that is just trying to profit that person instead of the player. But I don't think it's up to the NCAA to regulate that. And I think that it was a very like ham-fisted attempt to be like, oh, you have to have a bachelor's degree to be able to do that because that doesn't stop an agent from being super skeezy. So you're still not fixing that problem, which I think is possibly a problem but you're not fixing it with your solution so i think that's just why the ncaa maybe just needs to stay in their lane and they haven't done a good job of that so that's why they're kind of in the place they are right now yeah i'm pretty sure they don't even see lanes anymore i'm pretty sure they just have on a blindfold and they're kind of just trying to drive down i-40 And they're basically that person that is constantly causing accidents and backing up traffic for like a good hour. It's, it's fun times. It's fun times. Um, Tanya, anything else before we close out? I think that's all I have. All right, great. Well, This is going to do it for our first episode of What in Tarnation. You can find us on the Apple Podcast app and whatever other podcast app that you prefer. Um, I know one of my preferred ones is Overcast. Not that anybody cares, but hey, it's a great app. You should check it out. Um, But stay tuned. We have a lot more content coming out. There's going to be more episodes of Don't Punt to Geo once football gets going. We're going to keep this new show rolling as well. We should have plenty of good content for you coming from all types of Carolina sports. And, yeah, keep following us on Twitter. Um, Tanya, you want to give them, let them know where they can find you on Twitter? I am at Tanya Bondurant because very original very original and you can find me at thb brandon Um, but that'll do it for us and as always go heels